0: Right. right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 14. Our verses in examination today will be Deuteronomy chapter 14. We'll talk about clean and unclean. Clean and unclean. Now, today's sermon will also deal with two important teachings within the Christian faith. That is eating or tithing or Fasting. Now, the going joke is, and we talked about it this morning, even in Sunday school, the going joke is that concerning Baptist life, we are people who like to eat. Whatever the occasion is, we have to have a snack for everything or a meal for everything to commemorate or to memorialize or to celebrate, and, and that is a good thing, and that's an important thing, but, but, but does what we eat and how we prepare it, does it hinder our, our worship, um, There was was a time when even the food that was consumed or prepared reflect a pagan culture. But I want to start and begin today with, I think, where all sermons rise or fall, where any teachings rise or fall, and that is the example by the Lord Jesus. So I want to start and I want to end today's sermon with the words of Jesus concerning eating what is clean and what Jesus said concerning traditions and commandments what did jesus say about the the food laws that we'll mention today in the book of deuteronomy so let's begin with what jesus said and we'll work from there mark chapter 7 and verse 14 he called the people to him again he said Hear me, all of you, and understand that there is nothing outside the body that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of the person, that is what defiles him. Now Jesus is speaking about human depravity and sin, that we are sinful people. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And Jesus said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters into the heart, but his stomach, it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. So Jesus declared all foods clean. So. I want to have a fried pork chop for Father's Day. Amen. <laughs> now just so that we're clear, Jesus is referring to much more than just food that enters into a, a person. That, that makes them clean or unclean. And the same can be said today about what we'll be discussing the food laws that we'll see in Deuteronomy today. I'll kind of lay that out on the table. It's so much more than just the appropriate foods to eat that is clean or unclean and how the food is, is prepared. These, these laws have the same purpose as the rest of the law that we have already spoke about. From the the Torah, from the first five books of the Bible, all the laws, every single law, whether it be the moral law, whether it be the civil law, whether it be the ceremonial law, food laws, every bit of the law has the same purpose, and that is to point the people to rightful worship. Have you ever thought about that, The, the way that a person eats, directs? directs them to worship in some way i really haven't given much much thought about that in the sense of food but what i have thought about is what is clean and what is unclean well in today's reading we will see unclean and clean so let's stand for the reading of the word of the lord i'll be reading from chapter 14 i'll read the first three verses And then if you'll allow me, I'll read from verse 22. We're going to jump down. So today we're going to talk about food laws, which are clean and unclean. And then we're going to talk about one of the most famous topics in all the Bible, and that is money. Jesus spoke about money almost more than any other topic. Things referring to to money and the place that money has in a person's life. So beginning with verse 1, you're the son's of the Lord your God, and you shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your forehead for the dead. For you are a people that is holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. And he says, you shall not eat any abomination or the detestable thing. Now, jump down to verse 22. We'll unpack the rest of the verses in between. But verse 22 says... You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. Lord, we ask you to add your blessing to the reading of the word. May we see Jesus even in these laws that pertain to food, even in the Old Testament law of tithing. Father, may we see Jesus. May we come to the cross. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, you might be asking, well, how are we going to get to the foot of the cross Through whether or not you should eat a skunk or not (laughs) but give me a few moments and we hopefully will find ourselves worshiping jesus in a christ-centered sermon even even mentioning clean and unclean animals and tithing so as you can see today the the sermon deals with clean and unclean food laws and and if they are applicable today The importance of the tithe, is it applicable today? Does it apply to the believer? I I firmly believe that the laws that we discuss here today are simply to show how even the simplest things in life can be turned over to the Lord in devotion to Him. I mentioned this last week, and I think it's a good time to kind of mention this again. I I remember sitting down at, at, at the table with either one or uh, all of my boys at one time saying the simple prayer, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food. And in that moment we might say, well, why don't you articulate a better prayer than just that? But even in that moment, my little child, my little boy, whoever it might be, one of the three, is, uh, is acknowledging that the meal that they are about to eat is given even to them by the sovereign hand's God of jesus now although they will not say father god is great god is good let us thank him for our food because he is sovereign but he's acknowledging they're acknowledging the fact that whatever we eat is given to us by god even the simplest things in life we turn over in devotion to him from the things that we eat to the money that we give now, as I was studying this last week, this word came to mind, and the word consecration came to mind. It's not a word that we use a whole lot in everyday life. We don't talk to people and say, hey, I wondered, brother, did you, have you consecrated this time to God? It's not a word that we use often in the English language. It's most of what we would call in-house language, language that we use when we're talking to brothers and sisters in Jesus. So this word consecration come to mind in, in, in the fact that God's people are consecrated to Him. But what does that mean? Well, Webster's Dictionary defines consecration or consecrated as this, dedicated to a sacred purpose. So this church is consecrated for the worshipers of God to come in and worship worship the Lord Jesus. But Webster's Dictionary doesn't suffice for this particular word. Consecrated in the Hebrew language is the word Kadesh. It means something or someone that has been dedicated to holiness. So in a very significant way, consecration is entire surrender. Entire surrender. Andrew Murray said this of entire surrender. I want you to listen to what he said on consecration. He said, may not a single moment of my life be spent outside the light, the love, and the joy of God's presence. And not a moment without the entire surrender of myself as a vessel for him to feel full of his Holy Spirit and love. So, consecration has to do with, in some regard, of sanctification or holiness. I want to be full of the Spirit of God... And his love. Now, today we are consecrated to the work of the Lord. Why? Because of the work of the Son of God on the cross, because of of his death, and because his historical bodily resurrection. And so we are consecrated to the work because of the work of the Son. So let's begin looking at verse 1 and 2 before we dive into the remainder of the chapter. One must remember that these are traditions and customs that were residual from Egypt. So they are left over from when the children of Israel were in Egypt. And in fact, you'll see the very last um, verse, I believe it's verse 22, that talks about um, the mother's milk, uh, boiled in mother's milk. That is, the, that is a true indication uh, that these some of these animals were consecrated or set aside for pagan worship. So we'll talk about that in a moment. But look at verse one. He says, "You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourself or make any baldness of on your forehead um, for the dead." This would be translated literally to make oneself bald. Uh, and you know, and I'm thank the Lord that I have a bit of a um, you know I got family history where i don't see a lot of baldness but i don't see many men going around saying listen i want to be bald today i mean unless you should shave your head and that's a whole other story in and of itself (laughs) but you are the sons of the lord your god you should not cut yourself or make any baldness on your forehead cut in between your eyes the hair trim your eyebrows trim your beard cut your body for the dead for you are a people that is holy to the lord your god and the lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of peoples who are on the face of the earth. And so this is a reiteration of the laws taken from Leviticus 19, verses 27 through 28. Now, there was a common practice amongst uh, pagans, even some in Egypt, that they would shave their head and they would carve uh, in their body the names of those gar of those gods, or just simply to mourn those that have passed on. And they would carve in their bodies, they would mark up their bodies, the name of a deity or a god, or in some regard to uh, to worship their false god or their deity, and. And by the way, this is not a prohibition against tattoos. So I've heard many people talk about, read Leviticus, read Deuteronomy, about cutting on oneself. And uh, this is not a prohibition against tattoos. I would not go to these verses if I was going to speak two or four against somebody getting a tattoo. But if you're getting a tattoo in some paganistic way, then sure, but this is not a prohibition against that. It's not a prohibition of cutting your hair, leaving it long, or whatever. It is not, these laws, may I say it, these laws are not applicable in this way to the church, okay? And so, don't use a proof text from Deuteronomy to point at somebody and say, you shouldn't get a tattoo. Because if you, these are not verses that I would use there. This is not what Moses is writing about. This is not the commands This is not what the the centrality of these commands are pointing to. Now, because these are practices that were so close to people culturally, the custom points away from the one true God as master and creator that the Israelites were not to practice such things. If you want a good picture of how this looks, how this really looks in Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 18. And verse twenty eight is a very good place to look. You get a good picture of why this was prohibited. In fact, that verse reads, And they cried out. Now, by the way, this is the prophets of Baal being defeated. Okay, they tried to, to summon their God, uh, their false gods, and of course they failed. Okay, so get a good picture of this is they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their customs with swords and lances until they until they blood or bled, or the blood gushed out of them. And these are practices that they were, Israelites were not to have uh, amongst them. Do not cut on yourself in some paganistic practice. Now, verse 2, the Lord reminds them that they are a different people. They are a peculiar people. They are people who are to be a witness to those around them that there is one true God. Now, does that sound like you and I today. Now we are to be a witness to those around us that there is only one true God, there is only one name under heaven in which men might be saved. That does sound like us today. The Lord wants His people to steer away from being like the world and anything that rubs against our life in some way that will take away from our testimony as who Jesus is, will we'll take away of our testimony of being a Christ follower, the Lord would say, come away from that unclean thing. 2 second, second, uh, Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter 7, verse 17, he reminds the church, there at Corinth. He reminds them of that very thing. He says, therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will welcome you. Listen, church, there are things in our life that if we get too close to, it will taint our testimony. There are things in our life, if we get too close to, we become associated with sin and wickedness and and people do not look too favorable upon our witness for Christ. And so there are things in our lives, if we're not careful, we can get too close to them things and contain our testimony. Touch not the unclean thing. So as we begin to look at these food laws, I, I want to just highlight a few of them. I want to, um, I want to show that clean and unclean is, 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 is highlighted to be consecrated to God in this way. For the Israelites, it was eat this, don't eat that. Okay, and by the way, these food laws, as I mentioned before, they are so much more than just food laws. Okay? So, number one, thou shalt not eat. We're going to hit the highlights of these verses together, and, and all I can say before I begin is thank God for the freedom that we have in Jesus. Amen? Somebody say amen. Thank God for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, that if I want to eat a skunk, whatever reason that might be, I can do that and I have freedom in Jesus to do it. So verse 3, you shall not eat any abomination or the detestable thing. And these are the animals that you may eat. You may eat the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, the mountain sheep. Every animal that parts the hoof and has a hoof cloven in two and choose the cut amongst the animals, there you may eat those things. Now, I don't know anyone that has eaten a wild goat. I know people have eaten them. And thank God for freedom we have in Jesus. But listen, if you want a chart of all of these things, I'm not going to talk about each in, individual animal separately. But if you, if you want a chart of unclean or clean animals, I got one here on the communion table. Okay, come and pick one up. If we run out, I'll get you another cop- copy. I don't see, uh, to be honest, I don't see how uh, you would come up here and rush to get all of these, right? But if you do, they're here. I just wanted to talk about this distinction of clean and unclean and how they might affect you as the Christ follower. Verse 7 says, Yet of those that chew the cud or have the hoof that is cloven, you shall not eat these the camel, the hare, the rock badger, because they chew the cud. Uh, But they do not part the hoof. They have um, parted hooves. Or they are unclean for you. Then he goes on to say, verse 8, this is probably what we're most familiar with, and the pig, because it parts the hoof and does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. Don't even touch the carcass. Now, one might ask, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. If you haven't asked, I'm going to ask it anyway. Why are these animals approved and some not? What is the criteria of clean and unclean, and why has God chosen one over the other if he's created all things and determined them as, as good, part of creation? Well, first, with many of the prohibited animals that we see in this catalog, there is a nature of uncleanliness that is associated. So what comes to mind automatically is a pig. A pig is a good example. Some of the animals that are listed may not even be associated with a pagan practice, but the whole idea behind the clean and unclean food is to set people's mind That there is a standard. There is a standard of pure and separate. There is a standard of what is clean and what is unclean. Now, can I testify, as I mentioned earlier, I thank the Lord that I can have a barbecue sandwich, a pulled pork sandwich every now and then and not worried about it being sin. Now, there are other problems that might come with that, uh, especially if you eat it, And without moderation, you might find yourself with high blood blood pressure. You might find yourself with cholesterol, a high sodium intake. The list goes on and on and on. But if I want to put my body in subjection to eating pork every day, I can do that. But it's not a sin in and of itself. And even though the Lord created all things, there is an association of some animals as not being the best in hygiene. Then he goes on to say in verse 9, Of all those that are in the water, you can eat these things. Everything that has a fin and scales, you may eat. Whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. You may eat all clean birds, but these are the ones that you'll stay away from. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture. And by the way, if I was to see somebody eating a vulture today, you know, times are hard. The kite, the falcon, every raven, the ostrich, the night hawk, the seagull, any hawk of any kind, a little owl, the short owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the, the cormorant, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, the bat. The winged insects are unclean for you. You shall not eat those that are unclean, and all clean winged things you shall eat. You should not anything anything that has died naturally, so no roadkill. <laughs> Roadkill's out of the question. And by the way, on this list up here is a skunk, is listed as unclean. You didn't have to tell me that one. Now here's what you can do. Okay, You can take it to the traveler, the sojourner, who is within your towns, that he might eat. And by the way, this sojourner is not a... Christ, um, not a Christ follower, is not a, um, not an Israelite, not a Hebrew, and they are not a proselyte or a God-fearer. They are a person that is probably pagan in the way that they believe, and they wouldn't care either way. They wouldn't care if they were breaking food laws of any sort. So you're to take it to him that they might be able to eat it, or you could sell it to them. For you are a people, he says, who are holy to the Lord your God. And then he says this, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now that one is a particular Canaanite practice and it is also an Egyptian practice practice as well they would boil the young goat and its mother's milk not only would they consume the milk of the the meat but they would take that milk and they would pour it on any vegetation that they might have as an offering in some way that maybe the God the God that they had served would bless that particular crop so yes this was embedded in a pagan uh, not only a Canaanite practice but also an Egyptian practice as well and by the way this mentioning of this it epitomizes wicked and depravity it, it, in such a degree that it becomes synonymous with uncleanliness. So as Moses is telling this to the people, and, and by the way, you shall not boil a young goat in his mother's milk. They would say, I know exactly what you're talking about. This is, this is wicked. This is, this is synonymous with uncleanliness. Much like we would with Adolf Hitler or Charles Manson, uh, is synonymous with, with, with evilness. So is this pagan festival a symbol of uncleanness and or sin? Okay. So not long ago, a good friend of mine, um, he asked me if I wanted to try something, an animal that he had killed on the Roanoke River. He had killed it and cleaned it and prepared it. To eat. He cooked it. Uh, he had cut up some potatoes, some onions and carrots, and put it in the this. I don't know if you use a crock pot but t- he cooked it like a like a roast. And he assured me that it tasted good and, and he wanted to bring me a sample. I said, sure, bring it. I'll, I'll try it. I trusted him. So he brings it by and I tasted it and it tastes, like a, it tastes like a roast, a beef roast with potatoes and carrots It had pieces of, of sweet potatoes and onions in that thing. Well, the meat of choice of this particular uh, pot roast delight was a beaver on the Roanoke River. And I admit to you, it tasted like beef. But then he sends me another picture of a beaver that he had killed and roasted. Tim, won't you show that picture? <laughs> and again, all I can say is thank God for the freedom we have in Jesus. If we want to eat a beaver, we can. We, we want to eat a roasted beaver over a grill, we can. And I must admit, it tasted like beef, and, and I wasn't totally disgusted at the thought of dining on a beaver from the Roanoke River. But during the time, and you can take that off if you want. During the time when Moses roamed in the wilderness with the Israelites, this dish would have been forbidden. It would have been an an abomination. One more time before we go on, I want to make sure that we're clear on this. The purpose of the food laws was not so much about the animals, but about the people being different, being clean. They pointed to a spiritual reality, and the same spiritual reality for them goes for us today That God's people are to be be above reproach. What do I mean to be above reproach? It means that the world might not be able to hurl an accurate depiction or an accusation to you saying that you're in sin somehow. Being above reproach means that nobody can hurl an accusation to you that would stick to you saying that you might be in sin. Or that you might be a hypocrite of sorts and so I leave you with a verse on this particular point that might help us point us to the new covenant and a new direction uh, one you might not have ever thought about but clean and unclean for us would be to be above above reproach to live a life consecrated to Jesus and his work, and to be clean now Colossians 1.21 says, And you who once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, that is Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, blameless and above reproach before him. Now, this word for uh, uh, blameless and reproach or above reproach means that you are unblameable. Nobody can blame you accurately. Nobody can say you're in sin. nobody can say that this is that we lay this at your feet and you're guilty. You, you become un, unreprovable, unrebukable, uh, Not that we live a perfect life, but that we live a life so consecrated and so close to Jesus that we become above reproach. The purpose of the law was to point God's people to cleanliness and to worship Him with all that they have, and, and then to be more, more like Him. To be more like our Heavenly Father. To be more like the person of Jesus. To strive to be like Him. Secondly, I had you go down to verse 22. The second part of this, would a man rob God? How would you answer that? Uh, Yes, they would. Would a man rob God? Yes, sure he would. But how, you might ask. Well, through tithes and offerings. That is the command to tithe. Is it still viable today? So we talked about food laws and they pointed to clean and unclean and how we are to be separate as separate people, consecrated to Jesus. And then we're going to talk about the tithe, okay? And how these both of these things point to the right frame of mind for worship. This is a command that we say. Well, how would a man rob God? He would rob them through tithes and offerings. But is this command, is it viable today, and if it's viable today, in what way? And of course this question stems from Malachi 3 verse 8 that asks, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and your offerings or your contributions. Now tithing just simply means a tenth that you're giving a tenth of whatever you uh, have, have taken in, and you're giving it back to God. And the tithe can be, can be traced all the way back to Melchizedek as he received a, a tithe. It tra- can be tracked all the way back to the Old Testament. But can we track it to the New Covenant? And if we track it to the New Covenant, how does it apply today when we pass the offering plate around or when we give? How is it applicable to da- to, today? And because this was commanded in the Old Testament law I'm not even going to go down the rabbit trail talk about before or after taxes okay there's debate about that and I don't think our Heavenly Father is setting up in heaven with a heavenly abacus trying to calculate whether or not we gave before or after taxes and if that is your mindset then maybe you're looking for a loophole how to not give Remember, everything that we have discussed has been an attempt to steer God's people towards a holistic approach to worshiping God. From the reiteration of the laws, the reiteration of the commandments, to the reiteration of preparing your heart and your mind, not only preparing your heart but in fine-tuning your heart and the Holy Spirit to fine-tune our heart in the, in, in the day that we live in, this holistic approach of worshiping God through uh, the name of the Father and the power and the work of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit. From food laws to tithes and everything in between, God is demanding commitment and consecration. But what has changed for the church? So look at these verses with me, and then we're going to jump to the New Testament. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22 says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there you shall eat the tithe of your grain of your wine, of your oil your firstborn of the herd and your flock that you may learn to fear the Lord your God now if you're to follow the rest of that chapter uh, he would say well if you can't carry the tithe then the Lord uh, blesses you because the place might be too far for you to carry that well which the Lord your God chose to set his name there then you shall Uh, You shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses. Okay, so uh, grain, that has to do with income. Anything that we take in as a yield today would be offered up to God. Just spend the money for whatever you desire, ox, sheep, wine, strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat before the Lord your God. Then he goes on to say verse twenty seven, then you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your town. He did not receive a portion of inheritance. He didn't get any inheritance from the Lord when he was giving out plots. The Levites didn't receive a plot because they were to be the priest. It was like It would like uh, be the equivalent maybe of them receiving a parsonage or or attending to things of worship. They're like the pastors of the time, or the priests of the time. And so he says, make sure that they're well taken care of. Make sure you you take care of them because they have no portion. They have no inheritance for you. So part of the tithe here, part of the giving, would be invested in the things of God in worship for the Levites, for the priests. They are... um, this inheritance here uh, with you in the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, who are without your towns, you shall come to eat and be filled. And the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands that you do. We pray this often when we give. Lord, we pray that you bless this offering. We pray that you would bless this tithe, that you would, um, that you would, uh, that you would stretch it, Father, that it would benefit kingdom work. You know the reason we tithe is to worship God through it, and that the good news of Christ might go forth through some work that we do. So it's important that we understand the purpose of the tithe is twofold. Now, this is going to be an extensive lesson or sermon on tithing, but I do want to hit a couple of highlights for you today. First, it shows that we know that God is the owner of everything. God owns every single molecule, God owns every single part of our DNA. If there is one thing in the universe that God has not sanctioned and God has not control over, then God is not sovereign. So he owns it all. Tithing helps us to know that God owns it all. He owns the cattle on the hillside. He owns everything. He is the master of everything and he owns it all. Secondly, the tithe helps us to trust that the Lord We'll use what we have and that we will not be without. Better yet, the tithe helps us to trust that the, that the Lord, as we give it to him, will make sure that we have the things in life that we need. Okay, That we'll, we will not be without the things that we, that we need. So we're trusting him with all that we own and all that we earn. But the question is, do we give 10% to the Lord today in a tithe? Or has the command to give to the Lord's work shifted somehow? And by the way, I don't know whether or not you tithe or not. You might say, well, the pastor knows if I'm giving or not. No, I don't. I don't look at that. That's between you and the Lord. But I will say this, if you're not tithing, if you're not giving... There might be an indication that that might be some spiritual imbalance in your life. Again, I don't know whether you tithe, I don't know how much people give, I don't look at that, it's between you and God. The question is, do we give a 10% to the Lord, or has that command shifted? I submit to you that giving today for the church is done more so out of sacrifice rather than a percentage. The classic example of this is a woman who gave an offering. She gave all that she had. I want you to listen. I I mentioned that I was going to begin with the words of Jesus, and I'm going to close with the words of Jesus. So listen to what Jesus said. He's sitting in the temple, crossing the temple, crossing the treasury. And in chapter 12 of Mark, verse 42, the young widow, uh, a poor widow, had came in to give all that she had into the box. Poor widow came and she put two small copper coins. Today we would say she barely had two nickels to rub together. And that is true. She barely had two pennies to rub together. And she put it into play. And he called his disciples to gather a teachable moment. And by the way, Food Laws and Tithing is an applicable sermon title. I mean, we learn through life experiences how to be a worshiper of Jesus through everything, from the things that we eat to the things that we give. So Jesus did the very same thing. He called his disciples over and said, I want you to look. He said to them, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who were contributing in the offering box. Now Luke says that they had came, people had came, and they were giving out of their abundance. So they they would give out of of the abundance. It didn't even put a dent in in their wealth. You think of billionaires who might, spend five hundred thousand dollars into them it's like five dollars so she was putting in all that she had into the into the contribute her contribution her offering into the offering box for they all contributed out of the abundance that she had out of her poverty she has put all that she has everything she has and all that she had lived on now I wish we could follow the trajectory of this poor widow's life from that point on, but no doubt as she put this in, trusting in God, no doubt God supplied her every need. Do you believe that? God supplied her need. Now, I can't answer this for you of what you give to the Lord. It's not a, my, as I mentioned, it's not my business, but to know that you, that you give to the Lord's work in some way. That's between you and God, and whatever you give, I will say this, do so out of a grateful heart and with knowing that that the Lord will, doesn't need it, but God will use whatever you give to the work of the kingdom. Maybe the reason we don't give sacrificially is because maybe we have, we become maybe indifferent to the work of the kingdom. It is as if Jesus is waiting at the treasury for your gift. In this regard to receive it with your cheerfulness with your worship to bless it and to teach you how to use it if Christ is Lord of your mind if he is Lord over your heart and over your life then he must also be Lord over your silver and gold So let me ask you this in closing. Is he Lord over your life? Do you trust him with everything? Now, I know that we discussed food laws and Jesus declared all foods clean. I probably could have said that at the beginning and cut probably 20 minutes off the sermon. But Jesus said that all foods are clean if we do so with what, thanksgiving? We see this later on in the, in the letter of Paul, the letters of Paul wrote. Do everything in thanksgiving. The challenge was for us today in tithing and giving, and the challenge was to give to the Lord in a cheerful and sacrificial and a worshipful way, but still the question remains. Is, here, here's the question I want, I want you to take with you. Off these food laws, off of tithing, preparing your heart as we talked about, fine-tuning your heart by the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's a question i want to leave you with and then we'll pray. Is Jesus driving all that we do? Is he driving all that we do from eating to tithing, from serving to worshiping? Does Jesus drive your life? I don't want Jesus to be my co-pilot. I want him to be the pilot. The Bible is clear. He must be first in all things. And he will not be second place. Amen. Let's pray together.